Welcome to Book Notes, the Ohio Channel's conversation show featuring Ohio authors and books about Ohio. Northeast Ohioan Cinda Williams-Chima has made a name for herself penning fantasy novels. She's the author of the New York Times best-selling Seven Realms series and the Air Chronicles series. Her newest book, Flamecaster, is the first of four books in the new Shattered Realms series. And thank you, Cinda Williams-Chima, for joining us today. My pleasure. So, fantasy, wow. Um, you, you, you immediately bring the reader into this very rich world. So I understand that you grew up with stories and with fantasy in your household. Can you tell me a little bit about your early beginnings? Well, I've always uh, made up stories and I've always given voices to pets and stuffed animals and um, took any opportunity to enliven my life by adding story to it. So. Um, I actually wrote my first um, poem in third grade, and it was one of the first things I ever did in school that I got positive feedback about. <laughs> so I thought, maybe I'm good at this, and so I've been writing ever since. Now, you've been writing ever since, um, and you were, you were encouraged, but you took your, your career path, took a, a more scientific you, were, you became a nutritionist. Why, right. why didn't you just become a, a world-famous writer right off the get-go? Why not? <laughs> you know, that's why when I talk to a lot of young writers, I'll say, what should I major in? And I always tell them, think about how you're going to make a living until you can find success as a writer. Because you don't want to have to judge your writing by whether you can make a living at it. Because there's a lot of really stellar writing that um, the creators are not able to make a living with it. So actually, I didn't really start out with a real practical bent. My first degree is in philosophy. And so I was like the poster child for no vocational outlet. <laughs> and I paid for it. My, I worked my own way through school, so it wasn't like my parents could complain. I have one degree, an undergrad degree, and then a master's degree in nutrition. Um, and I practiced nutrition for decades. So I've often wondered, and, and, and we've had writers who both had day jobs and then have written on the side, and then writers who are, who are that's all they do. Is there an argument to be made that when you're not practicing your art 24-7 or 16-7, whatever, um, that you can bring kind of a real-world perspective to characters, knowing what the rest of the world lives? and acts like? Or do you think that, that given the opportunity, you would have written from age 13 on? Well, I, I mean, I think there's pros and cons to having a day job. Um, one big pro is insurance and, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. But um, it also gives you a little bit of perspective at a time as a writer when everyone is saying no to you. There's a place where you can be successful and I, I actually had, I would call a successful career in nutrition. I was an executive uh, uh, manager at Metro Health System and Cleveland Clinic. I took that job very seriously as well. But um, I'm very much interested in secret lives and transforming yourself. And so I always like to hear what people are doing when they have a choice. And so writing was the thing for me. The downside of that is exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I couldn't help thinking, you know, I'm competing with people that are not falling asleep with their face on the keyboard. 
while you were working your professional life, you were also, you were writing at this time as well? That's right. I've never stopped writing. And I did a lot of writing in my field. I wrote a freelance column for The Plain Dealer for a while. I um, wrote science-related um, feature articles for newspapers and magazines. Um, so I married the two things together, my knowledge of medicine and health and um, writing. And I had a teacher tell me once that all writing makes you a better writer. Hmm. So um, I actually had accepted a job at University of Akron as a professor, and I hoped that that would allow me a little bit more time for writing. And right after I went to the university, my first book sold. So I was teaching full-time um, during the release of my first three books. And you were also raising two boys. I was, you know, um, neglecting them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so l let's just talk about the, the kind of art-life balance. I mean, what, what would you, were you compelled to sit down at the keyboard and, and type this stuff out? Or was it something that you did as a, a kind of an exercise in perspiration? This is something you wanted to do, so you made time. Well, I think you, there's never going to be time for everything. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide what the important things are. And really and truly, I've virtually given up television. When I was working full time and raising two sons and writing every evening and every Saturday and getting up at four in the morning, um, it really crowded television out. And I'm not a snob. It's not like I don't think there's any. I think there's some great stuff on television. But I just had to, something had to go. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of other, you know, I enjoy gardening and hand weaving and um, genealogy, but um, you have to decide where you want to spend your time. Um, one advantage to being a full-time writer is that there is a little bit more time for some of those other things now. And was your family supportive to that? Did they give you, did they say, okay, mom's writing and just like <laughs> leave her alone? Um, they were supportive. A lot of my early um, work, I wrote personal essays about being a parent and so forth. They were published in newspapers, and my sons were relieved that I was no longer writing about them. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, if they were doing something and I picked, started taking notes, they'd be like, Mom, you are not going to put that in the paper. So yeah, they were supportive. I think um, everyone, myself included, was surprised when um, the first book sold and took off and because really and truly this is a totally new career for me at a time in life when a lot of people don't think such a thing is possible. Um, and I think it's wonderful. It's, uh, I always read, uh, you know, the New Yorker will have their 40 writers under 40 and, and I read them and I think, oh my gosh, this is very good. But there's something to be said when you start to get in your midlife, how you've seen things, you've had perspective, you've had experiences that I think that you bring to your writer life. You have a depth of ability to see characters and motivation. Well, I like to think so. I like to think that the longer you live, the more material you have. If you can avoid the temptation to lecture, there's nothing. I think anytime someone writes a novel with an agenda, mm -hmm. the story suffers. So I think um, themes arise out of story and not the other way around. So when someone says, I want to write a novel that will teach young people to whatever, respect their parents, not use drugs, you know, whatever it is, um, a novel may have that effect, 
but it arises from the story and not from your agenda starting out. Well, um, interesting that, that you said that, you know, you don't really want a lecture. There is a, um, one of the characters, I can't remember if it was Ash or maybe it was Jenna's father, that, that gave this kind of bit of advice. The hunter who cannot keep their eyes on the target goes to bed hungry. And I read that and it struck me as like, that's really what an artist does, is that mm -hmm. it's very easy to, like, or writer, is that mm -hmm. there's all these different things that you may want to do or even write about, and you've kind of got to keep your eye on the prize. You do, and you have to focus, you have to choose a project. Um, when I teach writing workshops, I, I tell my students that unless you're a celebrity, it's highly unlikely that a publisher will buy an unfinished book from you. So we all have half-finished projects in the drawer, but sooner or later you're going to have to stay with a story long enough to demonstrate that you know how to take it all the way through the arc and finish it. You should market that and uh, <laughs> do some residuals. Put that on a bracelet or an amulet. <laughs> that can be an amulet. Eyes on the prize. That, yes, is the hold the hunter, keep the eye on target, you go to bed hungry. Um, okay, so now, um, these are not small affairs. These are not short stories. Um, do I wish you... I got paid by the word. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it's, you, you get a, a chance to really kind of paint the whole atmosphere, the, the whole environment of this. So it's very nice going into, um, in, into the whole environment of, of the book. Are, when you're starting these, and, and Flamecaster is the the next in a new series, this follows the Seven Realms. This is the Shattered Realms, right? right? So this the is The Shattered Realms is a new series that stands alone. You don't have to read Seven Realms to read this. And many of the characters in this series are the children of some of the characters that readers met in the Seven Realms. So I'm setting it in a world I know really well because I wrote four other books in set in that world. This world, like when you're starting a new book, you're adding to this world, you're, you're connecting some of the characters. Mm -hmm. Are you doing this with index cards or are you kind of, does it unfold while you're, you're writing? Do you know where these people are gonna end up at the beginning of the novel? I usually know where they're going to end up. Um, I don't know everything that's going to happen along the way. Um, in, uh, when writers talk amongst themselves, we talk a lot about pantsers, seat of the pants writers, and plotters, people that lay everything out ahead of time. And for whatever reason, I would love to have a whole outline when I start out, but it doesn't work for me. Part of the process of writing for me what makes it enjoyable is the process of discovery. Asking what if questions. Well, what if this? Oh, you know, what if so-and-so was so-and-so's father? I have a lot of unpublished work that's set in this world. And when I first started out writing in the Seven Realms, every time the characters went someplace, I would mark it on this little map I was drawing. You know, after a while, I had a whole big map, and then my publisher hired a cartographer to redraw it. And that's what we see in the inside of the... That's what you see on the, yeah, flyleaf. So uh, the, the main character, I'm always scared talking about the books, is like, I don't want to give away <laughs> endings. Um, so I'm going to try to be very this delicate. One, this one is hard. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the, the main character, um, Ash, mm -hmm. who has a separate name that I don't know how to pronounce. Adrian Sulhan. Sulhan. Yeah. Oh, Sulhan. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
it was spelled in a way that I'm like, I'm not even gonna try that. Um, so Ash uh, is, um, he's an herbalist. He, uh, he, he, has, he knows magic, he can give spells, he can fight off, he can heal, mm -hmm. he's a healer. Mm -hmm. um, how much of the science of what he's using is real and how much do you, do you, do you concoct when he's finding herbs to take over, I don't know, snake bites or um, different bad things? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I, and my knowledge, I mean, I um, have some knowledge of herbal remedies and traditional remedies. For instance, willow bark was the original source of aspirin. Mm -hmm and has been known as a pain reliever and a fever reducer for a long time. So it's, it's mingled. I will take some elements that are real and um, I will create uh, an herb or a product when um, I can't locate something that works in real life. I know my translator into the German wrote to me and said, I can't find this maidenweed anywhere um, I can't find a German translation. And I said, well, you won't because it originated in this story. So I use both. Um, details from real life, they make the world real to the reader. Um, and then they're willing to trust you with some of the magical elements. And it does. It feels like I read that and I'm like thinking like, oh, I should make some tea from this. This would be, you know. Um, now, and then I was also trying to figure out is, and, and this is part of my, my need for geography. You have it laid out in, in, in the book flap. But then I'm like, you know, where is this taking place? And then the other question I, I had is that in your mind, what time is this? Is this a parallel time? Is this a past time? Because they have some things that could be future or parallel, but then it's obviously more medieval of, 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 right. of the construct. Yeah, it's, um, it's medieval. I did give them some cannons in this story. In Seven Realms, um, there were no guns. They used um, uh, catapults and that kind of thing. So in the time intervening in the 20 years or so in between the two series, um, guns or cannons have become available. I try not to be too specific mm -hmm. because then you get emails. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, people will write and say, well, actually, um, Roman soldiers did not ride horses and they, you know, whatever and whatever. So even my series set in Ohio, The Air Chronicles, I chose to set it in a fictional town of Trinity because otherwise it'd be like, well, they took out that traffic light, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. So I, I'm not real specific, but it is uh, pre-technology from the standpoint of um, medicine and transportation. They ride horses, um, their sword play. Castles are still sufficient to protect you against uh, much of the warfare brought against you. I'm Cinda Williams-Chima, and I'm going to read from Flamecaster, which is the first novel in the Seven Realms series. In this scene, two of the main characters, Jenna Bandalo, who is a prisoner of the King of Arden, and Ash, or Adrian Sulhan, who is a healer called in to treat her. Um, this is the first scene in which they meet. The prisoner watched them warily as they approached like an animal in a trap. It was a girl, perhaps a little younger than Ash, a rough gray blanket pulled up to her chin. Her hair was tangled and appeared to be streaked with color. It was hard to tell it was so badly in need of washing. 
Her clothes were filthy, too, though they'd once been fine. She wore what looked like boys' breeches and a torn linen shirt stained with blood and only the gods knew what else. A velvet coat lay crumpled up on the floor next to the bed. Her hands were manacled together, attached to a bolt in the wall by a short chain. The skin at her wrists was scabbed and discolored as if she'd struggled to get free. Ash's fingers found the collar around his own neck and his stomach clenched with sympathy. Her eyes, though, they were a striking gold color, clear and piercing, set into a plain face with a rather prominent nose. Raptor's eyes that miss nothing, undefeated in a place designed to extinguish hope. She wasn't the kind who could survive long in captivity, even if she hadn't sustained a mortal wound. His heart broke a little. The first healer said, I'd be fine, Jenna said. I thought he was the best you had. Blood of the martyrs, Karn said through gritted teeth. I'm trying to save your life, he gestured toward Ash. This one is gifted. Jenna looked Ash up and down, and something like fear flickered in her eyes. No, she said, licking her cracked lips. He's too tall. I don't want a tall healer. Bring me someone else. She doesn't want a gifted healer, Ash thought. Is she worried that I might actually succeed in healing her? Or is she afraid that I'll ferret out secrets that she wants to keep hidden? So you've had, you've had four novels within the Seven Realms? Um, there are four novels out in the Seven Realms. And then the one which is going to be the, the, the Shattered Realms. And then there will be four in the Shattered Realm series. This is the first of and four. The first one. And then I have five contemporary novels set in Ohio. So with the, the five basically set in the same geographic kind of, do you ever get tired of living in that world? Do you ever think, oh, I want to move this <laughs> forward? Or, Well... It's um, it's interesting. I, um, you know, people will say, write what you know. Mm -hmm. And so my first series, I chose to set it in Ohio simply to put Ohio on the map for all the New Yorkers. You know, when I've done events in New York, I'll bring a map of Ohio and I'll say, <laughs> say it with me, Ohio. <laughs> um, it, you know, because this is really flyover country. Um, and I really enjoyed incorporating Cedar Point and some of the other touchstones around the state. Um, but sometimes you don't want to be in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one of the things that books do so well. They take us to a whole other place. And some of the emails I get from readers, they really need to be in another place. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's really heartbreaking, mm -hmm. um, some of the readers I hear from. The, the, the writing process to you, I think in, in many times you can see the, uh, the popular, I don't know, cliche of the, the struggling writer. Is it a struggle or at this point are you, um, do you just show up to your, your writing place and then you just start cranking out words? It's always a struggle. I think the hardest part for me is the first draft because um, I have an editor in my head that's always saying this is this is terrible, this is, doesn't make any sense, you don't know what you're doing. And in order to get a first draft down, you have to allow yourself to write badly huh. because then you can fix it. Revision, on the other hand, I'm just nerdy enough that I love it. So it depends on the part of the process. But first drafts are always, it's, it's really like leaping off a cliff and you're not sure whether you're going to find a good landing place or not. Huh, so your advice is just write badly. Write badly.
No pressure. How much of a change from your first draft to your final draft do you think your stories go through, your books go through? A, a lot. Um, I mean, obviously, there's um, an editor at my publisher that's involved in the whole thing. Um, I'll get the manuscript as good as I can make it, and then she will always have um, suggestions and recommendations to make it better. Uh, on your website, um, you... Uh, you say you write headlong. Yeah. What does that mean? That means this business of not worrying so much about whether it's in the right order or every, you know, what, how everything fits together, not stopping to fix everything that you know needs fixing, but um, forging ahead. And if you can get in that zone, um, that's the very best thing for the first draft. It's later that you start you know, moving things around and making it look like you knew what you were doing from the very beginning. Um, one of the hardest things for me is that I'm always working on two books at once. Oh. There's the book that is almost ready to go to print, that's so pretty. And then there's this ugly thing <laughs> that I'm working on. And going back and forth between the two of them is, you know, it's jarring and you're like, it's okay that it's ugly. It will get pretty later on. There's another uh, bit on your, on your website, some advice. You said, don't be a writer unless you have to. Yeah. I get a lot of questions about that. And maybe I should revise the way I say it, but what I mean is if you are compelled to write, if you would write whether you ever got paid for it or not, then you might have the... Um, ability to stick with it long enough to find success. And not everyone finds financial success, but if you love the process, it doesn't matter so much, you know? I mean, if you enjoy um, writing for writing's sake, if you enjoy creating people and situations and stories and putting words together in a way that speaks to you as a writer, then commercial success isn't as important um, as it would be otherwise. You write for the joy. You write for the joy. I mean, there's a lot of pain, but if you don't like to write, find another way to make a living, you know? So uh, we're almost out of time. I did want to ask you, um, what you felt being an Ohioan or living in Ohio, how has that contributed to you and your success as a writer? Writers use everything. I come from um, Appalachian roots. My mother's family came from Jackson County, Ohio. And you'll see that a lot of elements are, I've, I've had a couple of different situations where there's coal mining or coal mines involved, including in this story. Mm -hmm. And um, so I draw on these are some of the favorite issues that I like to talk about. Small Town Midwest, the um, first series that I wrote, a lot of people saw themselves in the story that hadn't seen themselves in a story before. I mean, I, except for three years in Arkansas, I've lived in Ohio all my life. It's a real integral part of me and it's a part of my stories whether they're set in the Seven Realms or in um, Trinity, Ohio. So you basically say that if you want to be a New York Times bestseller, you should probably move to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's much easier to make a living mm. as a writer in Ohio. This is a great place for artists of all kinds. 
because you can live on a modest income and you can get wherever you need to go when you need to go there. Well, before we close, we have this little speed round-ish type of thing. I'm gonna ask you four questions and I'm just looking for short answers here. Uh, longhand or computer? Computer. Where is your favorite place to write? On a lanai overlooking the ocean. <laughs> there you go. That's someplace in Ohio. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what are you reading right now? I'm reading The Shadow Queen by C.J. Redwine. Do you read one book at a time or do you have multiple books that are going on? Generally one book at a time. Okay. And then what would the New York Times bestselling author Cinda say to the Cinda that's just starting out? Your advice to your younger self. Advice to my younger self. Um, I don't know that I would do anything different huh. knowing what I know now. I feel like every, even though I haven't been efficient in getting to where I am, I've really enjoyed the trip. That's awesome. A very authentic path. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, the newest book is Flamecaster with a warning. If you want to read this, um, you're going to be up late at night and you're going to want to go back to the four other ones to get into that world. So you've got probably a couple of weeks of good, uh, good writing here with you. Thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.